0: Amen. Maybe may be seated. Good morning again, church. Uh, we are continuing through the book of Colossians, and this morning we're considering Colossians 1, 24 through 29. That's Colossians 1, 24 through 29. If you brought your Bibles, you could turn there, or, uh, however you're going to read the Scriptures this morning. Follow along as I read uh, these verses aloud. Once again, Colossians chapter 1. Verses 24 through 29. This is the word of the Lord. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time together with your people, praising you, declaring your wondrous mystery, singing songs of adoration, thanksgiving. Pray now as we consider these truths found in these few verses, I pray that you would incline our hearts, open our eyes, give us understanding, and satisfy us with your word and with your promises. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen. Is there something in your life that you would do anything for? Is there something in your life that you would risk everything for? Uh, Maybe a certain political cause, or maybe to get a certain type of legislation passed, uh, or maybe some community activism. Uh, Maybe you would be willing to sacrifice or risk all for uh, a new relationship or maybe a certain educational degree or promotion at work. I mean, what type of things are worth huge sacrifice? I mean, what things are worth a a huge type of commitment? Well, in these few verses, we see what that thing is for Paul and by way of for us, as well as christ's people, it's the gospel message, it 's the name of Jesus. it's the good news of Jesus. It's to make the Word of God fully known. it's to proclaim him. I mean that is what Paul is saying here is worthy. Of sacrifice—that's the type of thing that's worthy of risking all for. I mean, for Paul and for us, in an, in an ultimate sense, in a in a first order sense, in a primary sense. Not that those other things are bad, but but the name of Jesus and heralding his name and proclaiming his name and pointing others to him. Paul says that is worthy of supreme. Sacrifice. That's the main idea of these few verses. We see Paul's message, the gospel message, a supreme message worthy of supreme sacrifice is available and offered to all. Paul's message, the gospel message, a supreme message worthy of supreme sacrifice is available and offered to all. Uh, We've seen already in Colossians 1, we've seen the supremacy of Christ. We've seen that He's Lord of creation, and He's Lord of the new creation or redemption. We've seen the supremacy of the cross and how He's reconciled us by His blood back to the Father. And now we see uh, the sacrifices that Paul's willing to make in order to herald that message. We're going to see two things this morning, the messenger's sacrifice and the messenger's aim. The messenger sacrifice and the messenger's aim as we consider the supreme message worthy of supreme sacrifice. First, let's look at the messenger's sacrifice. Verse 24, Paul writes to the Colossian church, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Remember, Paul is writing from prison to this church. He is suffering for the sake of the gospel. And not only is he willing to suffer, but he actually says, I rejoice in my suffering. Now, why could Paul rejoice in his suffering. Well, there's a number of reasons One, why. One I want to highlight is the fact that Paul can rejoice knowing that his suffering, his imprisonment, because he's heralding the name of Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, he can rejoice knowing that his imprisonment, his sufferings is leading to the advancement of the gospel message. Men, women, and children because of the sacrifice that he's willing to make for the message of Jesus, are having opportunities to hear, see, respond to that good news message. Men, women, and children are having the opportunity to mature and grow in the life of faith and the mission of the church because the suffering that Paul was willing to endure for the sake of the gospel. I mean, more would be sent out, more would come to know Jesus, and on and on and on it would go. He says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. I remember early on when I was in seminary, um, it was a break in one of our classes, maybe a 15-minute water break, bathroom break, all of that. And one of my classmates went up to the professor and uh, asked how can I be a better pastor? What should I study? What book should I read? Any particular doctrines that I should focus on? And without missing a beat, that seminary professor said, suffer and suffer well. Now, the aim of the question was, how can I be a better pastor? And, and what the, the, my professor said, suffer and suffer well. I mean, he's, he's getting the point that as we suffer and suffer well, of course, it makes us more compassionate, It makes us more empathetic. It allows us to identify more with others and their difficulties, their pain, their hardship. And as we suffer well, hopefully, we give glory to God, we rest in Him, and we point others to the faithfulness and the goodness and the majesty and the glory and the grace of King Jesus." Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. I was just talking with the butlers before the service who have just been going through a rigmarole of family health issues um, for months now. And we were just talking about how been praying for them that God would relieve them of some of this pain and heartache and suffering that they've been going through. But I've also been praying that they would suffer well in the midst of it, trusting in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, and knowing the butlers they're laboring furiously and resting graciously in the Lord as they continue to endure these heartaches and these pains. Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And then he says this phrase that is uh, quite confusing and uh, somewhat controversial. He says, and in my flesh, this is still verse 24, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. That phrase, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Uh, Now, let me be emphatically clear. Paul is not saying or implying that there was something lacking in the atoning death and suffering on the cross. Paul does not mean that there is something lacking in what Christ accomplished on the cross. If He were in fact saying that, and He's not, it would contradict not only the central message of the letter, these four chapters in Colossians, but it would undercut and contradict the central message of the Scriptures. He's not saying that. Okay. Well, then what is lacking Christ's afflictions. What does he mean? Again, there's maybe differing opinions and views on this, but simply put, I'll say this. Paul was referencing future suffering of all who, like Paul, will experience affliction, hardship for the sake of the gospel. Christ died once for all. The author of Hebrews tells us that Christ died once, it was sufficient. He didn't have to be offered up on the cross repeatedly like some of the Old Testament sacrifices. Once for all, it is finished. But many of the saints, many of Christ's followers, many in the church will continue to suffer and experience hardship and affliction for the sake of the gospel in order to advance the gospel. And as they suffered and as they endured hardship, as they heralded the message and name of Jesus, it advanced the gospel, the mission of God. It caused and helped. It was a means of the Lord used to, to help grow His church and help mature His body. Or as one early church father said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And We, as Christians, we can look back over 2,000 years of a, a faithful brothers and sisters, men and women in the name of Christ who have labored, suffered, endured hardship and affliction that others would know, trust, and believe in the name of Jesus. and We have received the gospel message and stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. We receive the gospel message because of people like the Apostle Paul and other faithful men and women. We have a a faithful genealogy that goes before us, and now, brothers and sisters, it's our turn. It's our turn to stand on their shoulders, herald the name of Jesus, and to suffer well for his name in the midst of it. He says in verse 25, "...of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." says, in heralding this message, I've become a minister, Paul says. That word minister means servant. I'm in service to this gospel message, this uh, according to stewardship from God that was given to me for you. I mean, in an ultimate sense, again, like Paul says, God, God entrusted this ministry, this message to me, and now I'm expending myself. I'm laboring for you that you would mature, that you would grow, that you would be built up, that others would know the name of Jesus. Again, so God, we see, entrusted Paul with this message and ministry. God gave him the opportunity. God gave him the obligation. God gave him the responsibility. We talk often about this discipleship outcome of stewardship of life, and everything we have belongs to God. we are only stewards. This is a, um, a mark, an outcome of true Christian discipleship, that we would grow in stewarding what God has entrusted to us. Every follower of Christ. Now we see what, what Paul was stewarding, but we likewise, in ultimate sense, everything we have, we steward every responsibility every obligation, every opportunity, every relationship, we steward those things ultimately to bring glory to God and to help people, others, grow in the life of faith and the mission of the church. And so we are called, part of good stewardship looks like, us serving faithfully and energetically until Christ returns. Your marriage... Steward that well, faithfully and energetically, bringing glory to God until Christ returns. Your parenting, your children are being discipled by someone or something. May you steward your parenting opportunities and responsibilities well, faithfully and energetically. Your job, your career, your neighboring etc., all of it, subservient to this ultimate aim, bringing glory to God and helping people grow in the life of faith and the mission of the church. Each of us have been called to steward it, and to steward it faithfully and energetically and well. Paul says, I'm doing this to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to His saints. I mean, uh, the Word of God fully known. That's… Paul is just expressing this idea that people cannot know Christ any better without knowing the Scriptures. I want to make the Word of God fully known. That that mystery… We just sang a song before I got up here about like, heralding and, and, and beholding the wondrous mystery. This word mystery that Paul uses uh, in his letters, it doesn't mean that we… Uh, it's not like an episode of NCIS or a Sherlock Holmes novel or a Michael Conley fiction novel or something where it's like a it. we got to figure these things out. It's, um, it's an unfolding plan. And that ultimate plan of redemption has been revealed and unfolded in the person and work of Jesus. The mystery or the plan was fully revealed in Jesus. So Paul's saying, and this is kind of our aim as well, and what we're willing to sacrifice for is is we point others to Jesus. We tell everyone about Jesus. We fix our eyes and encourage others to fix their eyes on Jesus. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. That's us. We've revealed it. We've seen it in the person and work, who Jesus is and what He's accomplished on the cross. Verse 27, "...to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." God chose to make this known among the Gentiles. And he he declares this mystery, this this unfolding plan that has been fully revealed in Jesus. He says that it's, it's the glory of the riches of this mystery. People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every background can experience the glory of this mystery. And he calls it, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's how he nuances it. He says that this mystery, in another way to say it, it's Christ in you. It's Christ in us. The hope of glory. That word hope, it's not wishful thinking. I hope I don't get the coronavirus. Or I hope the lockdowns don't happen again. That's wishful thinking. But here, it's a, it's a secure hope. It's a stable hope. It's a founded hope. It's a hope that we have that we are now reconciled to God because of Jesus. And we can experience the benefits and blessings, which Bernie talked about last week, because of the name of Jesus. And now Christ, through the Holy Spirit, lives in you. You herald the hope of glory. You live it, and you point others to it. We see the messenger's sacrifice here, and this is a word for us to to suffer well, to be willing to endure sacrifice, that we would be willing to endure hardship for the name of Jesus. And we see it in our culture. It's coming, brothers and sisters, if it's not already here. Those of us who... Profess to be followers of Christ and herald his name and identify with him as Christians. We're labeled as people who promulgate hate speech. Now, we're labeled as people who cause harm because we don't enthusiastically endorse others' rebellion against God. Are you prepared to suffer and to sacrifice? for the name of Jesus, and then not only suffer, but to suffer well and rejoice in it. May we faithfully and energetically steward what God has entrusted to us. And then the last point, the last two verses, we see the messenger's aim. We've seen Paul's commission, and by virtue in many ways our commission as well, to herald that name and to sacrifice well. But here we see the ultimate aim. Now, these two verses, verses 28 and 29, I mean, these are the type of verses that you just hang up someplace in your house. You know, you stencil it on the wall. You put it on a fridge magnet. I mean, these are like life verses type stuff here. I mean, these are great verses, incredible verses. Verses 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. I'm just going to look at some of these, these pieces. Him we proclaim. The hymn is Jesus. This is the content of our ministry as the church. And we call out and cry for salvation in one name, Jesus. Not Fauci, not Trump, not Biden, not Burks, not Cuomo, not McMahon, not Floyd. We herald one name, Jesus, for he is the one that brings ultimate and complete reconciliation to God. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. Here's the outline or the means of our Christian ministry. We warn and we teach, evangelism and discipleship, both at the same time. As, as He proclaims, He teaches. As He teaches, He warns. As He warns, He proclaims. As He warns, He teaches. As He teaches, He proclaims. I mean, it's all kind of wrapped up in it with all wisdom. But we don't give a jesus light version of the gospel. This isn't a zero-calorie version or a reduced-fat version of the gospel. It's the real thing. Here's the standard or the benchmark of our ministry, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal for all of us, maturity in Christ, that we would grow and conform to the image of Christ. This is the aim of every Christian church, every Christian small group or missional community, every Bible study. This is the aim that we have. We don't just just go to church to feel better about ourselves or to sing some good songs or, you know, hear a sermon. No, we go with this aim in mind that we would help one another mature in the Lord, grow in grace in the Lord all of it, preaching, singing, fellowship, prayer, scriptures, has this aim, maturation in Christ. We see here the hallmarks of of our Christian ministry. We proclaim Him. We warn everyone. We teach everyone with all wisdom. We present everyone mature in Christ. And if verse 28 then gives us the benchmark or the standard, the industry standard, if you will, of ministry, then verse 29 shows us the experience and the energy of genuine Christian ministry. Verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Those words, toil, struggle, they aren't two positive words. The word for toil, it implies hard Manual labor, the type of manual labor that you get calluses on your hands with. Uh, The word struggling comes from a root word that means to agonize. It's often used in conjunction with childbirth and, and labor. Uh, I have um, mother-in-law, sister-in-law are in town visiting and um, they were teasing me the other day. They were reminding me of how I was acting when Julie was in labor and they were, they were mocking me as, as they were saying I was agonizing maybe more than my wife as I kind of covered my eyes and just couldn't look and I just kept patting her shoulder, not very encouragingly, just kind of like would only touch her with my finger. Like it was just all kind of chaos, you know. It's that type of agonizing work is what Paul's alluding to here. And so, if it feels like to you that as you are engaging in serving the Lord Jesus, if it, if it feels like toil and struggle, agonizing work, I mean, you're in good company because that's what it felt like for the Apostle Paul. But please notice this, the last phrasing of our section this morning, his energy that he so powerfully works within me. Paul and us, we're not on our own. What God calls him to and what God calls us to, God will enable, God will empower, and God will equip us for Paul is not just waiting around for something to happen, not just sitting on his hands, but no, he steps out in faith, in the promises of God, and as he does that, God encourages him, God strengthens him, God enables him, and God empowers him. And so I pray that we would be the type of church, that we would be a people as we step out in the promises of God, that we would trust him to equip us and powerfully work within us. These are just wonderful verses, aren't they? Just incredible verses that frame our ministry. As one author wrote, we see in these two verses that Jesus is the focus of the ministry. Maturity is the goal of the ministry. Proclamation is the means of the ministry. Warning and teaching are the method of the ministry. Hard work is the way of the ministry. His power is the energizing strength of the ministry. This is what this local church and the people of God strive to be in this community. This is what we, people of God, are called to. So may we suffer well sacrifice all for the gospel, heralding him and proclaiming him, that every man, woman, and child would have repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel, and that every man, woman, and child would have access to the good news of Jesus through Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for this truth. We thank you for your word. I pray that we would be marked by the things we found in this passage. I pray that you would powerfully continue to work in us, giving us energy and strength. In an ultimate sense, may we be willing to sacrifice and risk all that others may come to know you. May we seek and strive to help others mature in the grace of our Lord Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Fathers, I pray that I want to move to what our prayer focus is this morning, and for Agape Church in Kiev, Ukraine. I pray these things for that congregation as well, and specifically. They've asked us to pray for them as they continue to care and lead people in the midst of COVID-19. Many things in that country and in that city are still shut down and their economy is very unstable. I pray for the leaders of that church as they have multiple congregations on both sides of the city. I pray that you would continue to use the leadership there to mobilize Christ's people and the life of faith and the mission of the church, considering the things found in verses 28 and 29 of Colossians 1. And as they seek to plant new churches and train new church leaders, I pray that you would continue to give them grace and mercy as they seek to be uh, participating in you in the advancement of the gospel throughout Eurasia. Father, we love you. We trust these things to you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen.